Hello, I'm your host, Johnny Baldisberger, and on this episode of Voices in Innovation, I discuss CICD with analyst John Collins. Hi, welcome to the show, John. Hello, good to be here. And I guess my first question for you is, is my understanding of DevOps is that it is a philosophy for delivering a product in which you continue to work on it as you deliver it. Um, the term is agile, right? Where you're, where you're able to respond to issues and fix them on the fly. There, there's a there's a lot to unpack in that. Uh, I think um, the the trouble with this industry, as you know, is is we love our jargon, and uh, so we we throw around terms like agile and, and continuous and so on with gay abandon. Um, but the the key elements uh, of everything within um, how software de- development and delivery has changed and is changing is this notion that it should be much, much faster than it used to be in the past. Back, back in the day, you know, a decade ago, two decades ago, everything was built following a, a life cycle that could take months or years. And the, the really speedy kids um, using cloud-based software or, or using uh, new open source tools, they were delivering stuff in days uh, or even quicker. And so this idea that we need to, the, the whole thing about agile or continuous or whatever is we need to get with that program where we can just start delivering stuff a lot quicker than, than we used to do. A while back when we, when we first had this discussion off air about DevOps, I, I commented on it being sort of the, the video game uh, way of doing business where you release a product and then uh, continuously patch it and release updates and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Is that is that in essence what what's going on with DevOps? Kind of, but th- th- there's there's a massive uh, there's a kind of both a misnomer and a paradox at the heart of everything around DevOps. So I uh, love paradoxes. We, yeah, we got to have a paradox. Um, we, we, it's a paradox rather than a paradigm shift. So so that's quite that's quite a good start. So <laughs> essentially, um, there's this idea that you should do stuff first. Great, you know, and as you say, that you should do stuff, kind of get it out there, and uh, almost game it to find out whether or not it's any good. That only works, and here's the paradox: if you're really, really good at what you're doing. So when we speak to to large organisations about a lot of these concepts about you know uh, agile software development or uh, continuous delivery or um, uh, any any of these kind of fast moving uh, you know, DevOpsy kind of kind of term, terms, they say, oh, but that means we don't need to do quality anymore. We don't need to do this. We don't need to do that. We, it's just about getting it out there, right? And the answer is no. Uh, at the heart, as many organisations have learned as they've been on this journey, um, if you want to do something continuously, you've got to be really good at doing it before you start. Because if you do some, if you deli- if you create some software, and then you try and build it. And it doesn't work when you try and build it. There goes continuous straight out the window right away. So, in order to get it to to build uh, consistently, to be able to get it out there fast, to be able to get that kind of feedback that you want, you've got to start building it or writing it in in the right way, right right from the right from the get go. So it's got to be well written code. It's got to be code that takes into account the fact that it's going to 
you don't want to find out if there's something wrong with it when you're building it. You want to know whether or not it's good before you start building it. And that really changes uh, the, the developer mindset, um, making it about getting it right first time as opposed to someone down the line will deal with that and let me know. Going back to the the video game analogy, there's been plenty of games that have lost their user base or floundered in the market because they released a product that wasn't ready yet. Uh, day one problems have definitely been a bane for a lot of games. So I think mm -hmm. there's a lot to be said about that quality assurance, quality checks uh, throughout the process. And like you said, being good at what you do before you attempt to just put it in people's laps. Uh, that said, one of the first things you mentioned in your uh, your key criteria report for CICD is that frequency is not the only metric. That fast doesn't mean good all the time. Yeah, and, and so um, it's interesting, isn't it? I'll, I'll pick up on what you're saying about it. it, it it's like watching a film. When you watch it, you think, how on earth did this get made? This should never have been released because it's really not like that. Surely they would have got the dialogue better. Surely they would have got the plot worked out. It's that kind of feeling you had one job. Um, and then you, 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 you're forced to ask the questions, why did such a large budget film have such a bad screenplay is, is a really great question. And then you find out it's because, well, one guy started it and someone else started, carried on, and then it changed. It ended up being built by committee, and then the director changed, blah, blah, blah. And there are genuine reasons why things went wrong. And um, that it's very similar in what we're talking about here. It, when things go wrong, when you're not doing it right first time, there are genuine reasons. And what we're trying to do is deal with those reasons. And I'll use that to segue to your point about speed's not the only um, uh, goal in town anymore. What we're seeing uh, over the past, uh, I think DevOps celebrated its 10-year anniversary uh, a month or so ago. And over the past... Happy birthday, DevOps. Happy birthday, DevOps, absolutely. So back in the day, speed was the the goal um functionality at speed so essentially let's get something out there uh, that'll be great and if you could get something out there fast you would win over everyone that's that's not getting it out as fast as you can um so then the question became how to get it out there uh fast uh, with the right functionality that could get that feedback, and to to your point about you know games not being very good when when you actually try them, uh, being lower quality, addressing those issues of how to make something continuous, uh, so how to deliver speed uh, was the thing. As we as we're moving forward, uh, we're at a, an interesting juncture now where speed is still very very important, but Let's imagine, you know, that you're there building stuff, and there's a hundred organisations just like yours building stuff as well, and they're all getting that bit right. So uh, suddenly, it's not just about speed anymore. It's also going to be about, um, uh, very specifically, how much value you get out of that. So, if if in the next ten Let's say, I mean, I'm not going to pick the obvious example of what's going on in the world at the moment around uh, you know, public health, but let's say there's a sudden huge opportunity um, 
to develop a new type of software, let's say for you know, insurance, um, which kind of overlaps with that. You spot the opportunity, 100 other organizations spot that opportunity. So you're all building it. You've got the next 10 days to do it. You get it out there. What's going to win? Not necessarily the first one. Uh, and that there are variables there. It's going to be the one that really, really thought about whether or not it was going to be useful. So it's not just about getting the thing out there. It's about getting the best possible thing out there at a high level of quality and quickly. And that's starting to dictate. So value-based stuff is starting to dictate um, what it is that people build as much as speed. And that's why I say in the report, speed isn't the only game in town. That doesn't mean that speed isn't important. It means that it's just one factor alongside actually delivering something of real value. Fairly recently, I was reading a business book about creating products. It, it talked about how you can't drop the ball on any of your metrics. Like if you're if you're fast and cheap but have a terrible product, you'll lose to someone with a better product. Mm -hmm. If you have a great product and you make it fast but you cost hundreds and thousands of dollars, you'll lose out to someone who's cheaper. You have to you have to increase your value across every metric simultaneously or lose out to someone who's doing better than you. Mm -hmm. uh, but here's the big question uh, that that I, I asked you yesterday and you said, maybe we should save this for our talk. <laughs> what is, what differentiates the term DevOps from the term CICD? What is, how are they separate things? Okay, very good question. So as you know, we've just put out this report on, on enterprise CICD. Um, and what I've said uh, up to this point on, in this conversation is around the role of speed, the role of continuity, the role of value, etc. Uh, CI, if I if I may just talk about CI/CD before I talk about about DevOps, CI essentially refers to continuous integration. It's how you can build your software continuously. So. Uh, build it, uh, software build management might be another way of putting it and then add the word continuous because you want to do it really well. So continuous software build management is what we mean by CI. And you start with a bunch of code, you start with a bunch of libraries, et cetera, et cetera, and you end with some artifacts that you can then deploy. And that's the D in CD. It's either delivery or deployment. Doesn't really matter. Different people use it for different things. But essentially, it's how you build stuff is the CI, and then how you get it out there into uh, onto your cloud-based servers or onto your own servers or whatever. That's the CD. Great. That's all really hard. Uh, there's lots to unpack there. That's what the report's about. How does that relate to DevOps? Well, let me explain that. Um, when uh, people started getting really, really good at doing CI and CD, they still hit a fundamental issue, which was, let me say it's more political than, uh, than, than technological, and, and I'll unpack what I mean by that. So, and it takes me back to a meeting. I, when I um, used to be a software development consultant, I, I still remember sitting in the room where uh, I was helping some people build software according to an agile methodology. Um, and we were doing use case driven design, we were doing OO, we were doing component based development, we were doing all the right things. And then we sat down with a meeting in a meeting with the, the people that ran the data center. And um, 
I was invited to come along because I was helping the people build the stuff. And the, 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 the manager of the development project said, so it's great. We've got all this great stuff happening. And it was for an insurance company. And we, we're going to need to deploy this in, um, we reckon. He looked at his watch and uh, looked at his calendar. He said, yeah, four to six weeks. Would that be okay? And the operations manager who was also in the room, the, the guy actually running the data center stuff, said, you got to be kidding me. You really think that I can just kind of conjure out of nowhere enough server space? This is this is a new insurance product. It's for people that are going to want to buy uh, ISAs in the UK, I think, was the thing. Uh, brand new government-backed uh, uh, um, insurance uh, uh, account type. And, um, and you're thinking that I can procure the hardware, build it, test it, make it mission critical, make it able to scale how many customers are you expecting in the first few weeks, et cetera, et cetera, in four to six weeks, you have got to be crazy. And the whole room went a bit quiet at that point because they genuinely haven't given a moment's thought to how the thing was actually going to run. And that uh, meeting was a manifestation of what was termed the wall of confusion between the developers who were happy-go-lucky building their stuff um, and then the operations people that then had to cope with the consequences of whatever it was. And this wall of confusion between dev and ops, someone about 10 years ago, as it happened, said, <laughs> how about we deal with this? Let's bring dev and ops together and treat it as a single um, set of activities that uh, can uh, take into account deployment and post-deployment activities, as you point out, the, the day one, day two activities, uh, as well as just just developing the thing. And thus, DevOps was born uh, on the back of CICD. So it is important to see CICD uh, as a, doing DevOps right unlocks the power of CICD is another way of putting it. One of the things you mentioned in your uh, report, <clears throat> specifically on what was uh, driving CICD evolution, is the fact that engineers and developers were becoming more and more distracted by keeping CICD going uh, with uncumbersome tools, or sorry, with cumbersome tools, uh, things that were requiring more work than actually the things they were supposed to be building. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question then is, is that what is driving these various vendors that you talk about in the GigaOM radar and your various vendor profiles? Are these guys answering this problem and making software that's going to uh, drive the evolution of CICD and DevOps forward? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know why I come up with these analogies, but uh, the 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 technology landscape is like a, a huge game of splat the rat. Um, and um, uh, I'm going to need you to rephrase that for our American audience. Okay, <laughs> if, if anyone's been if anyone's been to a fairground, there's a game called Splat the Rat, where essentially it, it's not real rats, right? Uh, there'll be a a board with holes in it, and you get a hammer, whack a mole. There you go. There so it's go. it's like a game of uh, 
A whack-a-mole? Is, is that any less uh, gruesome than Splat the Rat? I don't know. Well, I, I, um, I'm not saying it's less gruesome. I'm just saying that Americans will know what <laughs> whack-a-mole is. Yeah, it's one of those things that Splat the Rat really isn't a very pretty term, is it? Now I come to think about it. Um, so, um, uh, what happened um, is the, the dawn of open source, the arrival of cloud computing, the ability to build stuff uh, using other people's uh, hardware platforms. So if you go way back uh, when we were talking about infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, all of that evolved to make it possible to build things uh, without having to think about a lot of infrastructure and a lot of the software that you were going to be using to build it with. And, and suddenly scripting became a huge thing. Um, yeah, PHP and the LAMP stack and uh, Linux, Apache, uh, MySQL and, and Perl or PHP or Python became a huge thing. And the long and the short was um, it became very uh, much more straightforward to uh, build things quickly. And that also came to the software tools. So a lot back in the day, back before all of this happened, Software tools were monolithic, proprietary. Uh, you got them from big companies uh, like IBM Rational, and you used them, and that was that. Um, what we saw over the past 15 years is a proliferation of software tools um, that are helping all problems. And, and uh, uh, that that continues to be the case. There's new software tools. You know, part of my job is trying to keep tabs on all these new software tools that are coming out all the time. But what's happened uh, as a kind of um, the, the positive consequence of that is it's been much easier to just pick up a tool and run with it, etc. The the downside of that is we've seen a large amount of fragmentation um, as people have uh, used. Uh, if you've got the, the the biggest tool shop in the world and you could just walk in and pick up any tool uh, very cheaply, you know, pay as you go. Uh, uh, every time, and then all of your colleagues can do it. So, hey, I use this for application performance management. Well, I use that. Well, I use this for log management. Well, I use that because it's that easy to to do. So, different teams are picking up different tools. And, and when we speak to uh, organisations that have been doing this for a long time, they, they're faced with two problems. One is that they've got a massive proliferation of multiple different pipelines. Um, so. Uh, asked a, a big bank, uh, yeah, how many pipelines have you got? And they said, well, about 5,000. They said, why have you got 5,000? They said, because we've got 5,000 applications. And each application has a different pipeline, different set of tools configured in a different way. So that's one challenge. The other challenge is um, uh, 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 someone I know at a, um, a, uh, an online travel organization uh, said, we didn't want to be known for the organization as the organization that delivered the world's best pipelines. Essentially, they're there to sell travel. They're there to build the world's best travel site. They're not there to build the world's best pipelines. And they want other people to do that. So there's the opportunity cost of having your engineers uh, focusing on um, infrastructure, on um, 
the 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 the, the um, libraries that you're using on all the dependencies on the pipelines themselves that's taking away from your ability to innovate in whatever sector you're in so put those two things together one is the fragmentation and the other is the inefficiency and the opportunity cost and you see this need for having uh, as we say in the report um, vendors that deliver an end-to-end -end pipeline that enables your developers as an organization to build what you want, be it insurance, be it travel, be it healthcare, be it you know, whatever vertical you're in, uh, and not have to focus on, on the stuff that you're using to, to build it. Speaking of the vendors, there's a, there's a graphic you have on both the key criteria report for enterprise CICD and the GigaOM radar mm -hmm. uh, that has visibility vendors at the top kind of looking down at pipeline providers and deep experts. You list these as three different kinds of vendors, um, unless I'm reading this wrong. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. So, so does that mean that's ideally a enterprise will have at minimum one of each of these? So let let me let me explain that picture, and um, um, because people can't see it, uh, essentially, CI/CD are two stages in the software. Uh, delivery chain from uh, what's commonly being called ideation, so just a, a brainstorming or doing a requirements gathering, uh, etc., working out what it is that the software needs to do, then actually writing the software, developing it in, in, in one of uh, many possible languages. Uh, then we get into integration, the CI stage, then we get into delivery, the CD stage, and then uh, at the other end of the, 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 the pipeline, we've got actually orchestrating the, uh, um, the infrastructure. So build, building virtual um, virtualized uh, architecture environments and uh, in, installing and running the software on it. Um, if we take that five stage end-to-end uh, -end approach, not all vendors of CICD do all of those things. and. Um, so we had a conundrum when we were writing the report. I had a conundrum when I was writing the report about who to include and how to include them. So I decided to to, to break it in, into those three groups. The first group is deep experts. So essentially the people, organizations that have spent their time looking at the CI challenge head on and looking at the CD, CD challenge head on which can largely, I mean, we've talked about it a bit, but when you, um, when you unpack what it is that's making uh, continuous integration really hard today, it's a question of complexity. There's so many different languages you can write in. There's so many different libraries you can pull in, so many different platforms you can write for, so many different tools that you can use. And you put all of that together and uh, people end up scratching their heads and, and trying to work out um, what it is they 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 should be doing and there there are organizations out there um that like circle ci for example um uh, that uh uh cloudbees is another example of with their with their jenkins um they um uh, it's not their jenkins obviously with with their uh, um their support of the open source jenkins tool i should say uh that offer that deep expertise uh, in in CI and in CD. Now, other vendors have chosen to. Sometimes they can be deep expert, but equally they might not be specialist 
enabling you to um, manage all of that complexity, um, but they may offer support for all the stages across the pipeline, including CI/CD. So uh, AWS would be an example. Uh, Microsoft would uh, be, be another example. Um, Microfocus uh, uh, would be would be another example of organisations that offer support across the entire pipeline and offer specific support around CI and CD. So it that and then the third the third group that we're looking at. Um, they don't actually do the thing, and uh, a question I had was whether or not to to include them at all, um, because they're not actually CI vendors or CD vendors. But what they do enable is um, uh, management uh, decision makers to uh, drill into the success. So they're looking at you know build success they're looking at how well things are integrating they're looking at how well things are being delivered they're they're offering that view uh, across the whole pipeline as well and then enabling them to make uh, priority based decisions uh, no we should we should delay this a couple of weeks or we should release this with a reduced set of functionality whatever it is um, because they offer visibility into a wide variety of tools so examples there are task top zebia labs um, uh, organizations that uh, that uh, ena enable you to to get a dashboard onto CICD and the broader pipeline. So, in answer to your question directly, would organizations have all three? Um, there's uh, as the standard response to any question, as as many know, is from an analyst is it depends. Um, and in this case, uh, if you're a, an AWS shop or a Microsoft shop, for example, you might be quite happy with uh, the, the capabilities that AWS or Microsoft offer you to give you that end-to-end -end view. Um, or you might have uh, an end-to-end -to -end tool. You might have, uh, uh, for example, you might, um, if you've got a specific target, if you're aiming at Kubernetes, you might um, be using JFrog tools to, 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 to manage that end-to-end -end pipeline. Uh, but you might have, I know that JFrog does come with CI, CD, um, but you might have chosen a different CI uh, um, um, platform to, to give you some deep expertise in a certain area. And then you might also have uh, a visibility tool uh, that gives you that additional edge uh, as you're looking for your management decision making. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. I want to, to jump over to the GigaOM radar. Uh, <clears throat> for those of you who don't know, aren't familiar with the report style, the key criteria report is really a deep dive introduction into the technology. Uh, so you can learn a lot about what CICD is. Uh, the market radar is really a look at the various vendors and what we expect from uh, and need from those vendors at a fairly high level and it includes a lot of incredibly useful graphics. I just want to go through uh, three of those graphics now. Uh -huh. uh, the first one, vendor positioning. Uh, it, it gives a very basic view of how well suited each of the vendors you've went through uh, in this report, AWS, CircleCI, CloudBees, CodeFresh, GitLab, IBM, JFrog, Microfocus, Microsoft, Red Hat, and Zebia Labs, and how they do across market segment, vendor groups, deployment models, uh, visibility, all the things we've talked about so far, how strong of a fit it is, 
uh, if there's room for solution or if it's not applicable. Now, my question is, using this, I would probably be tempted to just figure out who has the most three plus signs across the board of this graphic that says strong focus, perfect fit in every category and call it a day. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Um, and <laughs> I, I think you'd be lucky to find a single vendor that uh, delivers uh, across the board in, in such a way. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the, um, uh, and even the ones that do. So the, the, the two that kind of stand out uh, fr from that point of view are GitLab, GitLab and JFrog. Yeah. JFrog. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, they, they have their strengths and weaknesses. So if you look at the um, uh, Git, GitLab uh, delivers uh, pretty well uh, on, on most criteria, but then it's designed to be um, uh, most GitLab most GitLab customers are customers of GitLab. So to your right. point, would would they have a, a large and and diverse pool of vendors? Right, um, and if you go down uh, later in this report where he you go into each vendor individually, it says uh, that GitLab is Git only and doesn't have major integration with other tools. So you have to look at both this this graphic, uh, this yeah, chart, and, 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 and I think you, therefore you have to look at both the vendor positioning and the key criteria uh, and mm -hmm. evaluation metrics together. Um, and uh, um, so GitLab, for example, only gets uh, a single plus on the solution ecosystem. I mean, let let's be um, uh, realistic on these things. No vendor could uh, could have everything right. Um, and there's two reasons for that. One is that no vendor can have everything right. You know, there's no such thing as perfection. But the other reason is that vendors are actually aiming at certain target markets and, and, and segments. So some vendors are really, really focused on, on the needs of larger enterprises. And therefore, they're really governance heavy. They're really um, about standardization. They're about... Uh, I wouldn't say they're restrictive. That's a bit too too um, difficult a term. But they're 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 designed for people that are prepared to put a lot of effort in up front, uh, but then reap the rewards over time, because that's what enterprises do. Whereas some, another vendor might have a really really simple and uh, very usable interface, um, and, uh, and therefore very kind of uh, quick um, time to value. Uh, um, uh, at the early stage, but then could lack some of the the, the stronger functionality um, that that you might expect from a, from a bigger vendor. So it it is horses for courses. It is about uh, it, um, uh, um, as a as a as a reader uh, looking at the, um, the the capabilities of a vendor, uh, but then also mapping them on, onto your own needs. And uh, if I was to advise one thing, it would be to understand your needs. And not just expect. I mean, the old adage "there's no such thing as a silver bullet" is true. Uh, maybe a better adage for for this is, um, you want to put the 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 cart very much behind the horse uh, and understand what journey you're on as an organisation, and then look at the tools that can support your journey, as opposed to just um, uh, adopting a tool and thinking 
you'll be better at writing software as a result. It ain't, it ain't going to be the case. Speaking of the key criteria in evaluation metrics, can you speak a little bit about what what differentiates those two uh, categories and what puts different things within each category? Yeah, it's a very good question, and um, there, there's a third there's a third category of uh, information which we call table stakes. Um, so the any uh, I mean, the the purpose the purpose of the key criteria reports and the purpose of the radars is essentially to establish how certain uh, technologies or software you know hardware software platforms whatever can enable you to uh, move forward as a business to deliver more innovation it's uh, and um, and and get business value so within that there are certain things that you should just see as kind of normal now, and we call those table stakes. So it, a CICD um, uh, vendor, for example, just doing CICD, that's table stakes. That it's kind of uh, if they do it, then uh, then they should be included on the list. If they don't do it, then then why are they even talking to us? Um, so th that kind of stuff, it, it's not differentiating. All the vendors do it, um, uh, and uh, uh, Certain certain elements of pipe, pipeline automation, for example, they're um, they're reasonably they're reasonably standard uh, across across all the the vendors. Uh, being able to you know set roles of responsibilities, that's reasonably standard. Being able to to manage the build resources, that that's reasonably standard as well. Um, uh, but then you get on to so what is going to make a difference, and and that's what we call the key criteria. So. Uh, we have, for example, um, measurability of the pipeline. We have uh, being able to manage uh, um, by environment. And this is a really interesting one um, that, uh, that, that bears some, it, it's worthy of a little bit of explanation. So when we're building stuff these days, generally, we don't know what target it's going to end up on. And the target of what we're building, uh, so you know, where our software is going to end up, becomes uh, something that we want to manage as much as the software itself. And so that environment management is a notion that says, okay, so what's the target environment going to look like? Okay, well, it's going to look like that. Okay, well, then let's give it a name. Let's give it a label. That is the... Um, the full deployment in uh, Southeast Asia target. That's what it's going to look like. And there's the description. And now I can write stuff and deploy it to the full deployment in, in Southeast Asia target. That's great. Uh, really useful. Once you've got the notion of the environment being a first-class citizen like code or, or anything else, then you can start doing really clever things with it. So a test environment can also be a target environment that you manage. You could have multiple test environments. You could have the high-scale test environment versus the low-scale test environment. You could have um, the if something doesn't work in this, we don't care environment versus the everything absolutely has to work environment. Um, and you can play with environments. You could have the, the environments which had uh, really good connectivity versus the environment that didn't have such good connectivity. And you can start testing the characteristics of environments against the code. So uh, 
level bringing uh, environments up to be a first class citizen alongside the other artifacts that you're choosing to manage is a very powerful tool uh, in CICD, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, so that's that's how we're we're using the key criteria to to enable us to differentiate bet between the vendors, and then the evaluation metrics are largely um, coming from how how tools are used. So in this case, how the CICD tools are used. Do they do they scale very well? Are they flexible? Uh, do they have a, a, a large solution ecosystem? Uh, particularly, um, as we've talked about in, in CICD, there's a there's a uh, a smorgasbord of, of potential tools and capabilities that you might want to plug in. There's security tools, there's testing and quality tools, there's process management, there's analytics, there's there's a, a massive variety of different uh, things that you might want to plug into your CICD. Um, so uh, that that all goes into the solution ecosystem. And then overall, how much value are you getting from day one uh, and, and then across time in terms of ROI and, and TCO? So that's how we're evaluating. And a lot of it maps back to uh, how um, the organizations that read these reports might uh, put a uh, um, uh, an invitation to tender, an uh, RFP, a request for proposals together. Um, the um, table stakes are the mandatories. So either you can deliver on those or you shouldn't be in the room. The um, key criteria are the highly desirable uh, characteristics, uh, which um, you then use to uh, to judge the relative merits of one solution over another. And then the evaluation metrics give you the, um, the, the, the weightings on which you can place uh, given solutions. So you can use the, the table stakes to draw up a, a set of solutions. You can use the key criteria to give you a shortlist, and you can use your evaluation metrics to then actually make a decision based on, as I say, based on your own needs. Thank you. So I, we're almost out of time. I want to ask one more question, and that is whilst writing and researching this report, was there anything that you learned that surprised you, that <laughs> you weren't expecting, that that made you change the way you look at anything in CICD? Um, definitely. I, I think that one of the issues with, with writing a report like this is it's in writing it that you learn a lot more about – I mean, that that's the notion of writing a report. But uh, – the, the challenge with uh, uh, a key criteria report is you start with a, a set of um, what you think are the differentiators. And then by the time you get to the end of the process, you see what are the actual di differentiators. Um, so part of the, um, the, 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 the one, one thing that springs to mind that I learned uh, as I was putting the report together was the kind of uh, there's another paradox. I'm going to I started this podcast with a paradox. I'm going to end with another paradox, which is all around. If if CICD is ultimately hinging on the notion of of, of managing builds, if you make it easier to build stuff, uh, make it easier to build stuff. For example, uh, with multiple versions. So I could uh, using uh, what's called feature flags. I I could build five different versions of of my software package with different features. Uh, and then send them out to different geographies and then see which one people like and then use that to, to feed into the process. Um, that's a very useful concept. But therefore, 
my ability to build stuff quickly can very quickly become a, a bottleneck. So let's say I want to build 10 different versions of things or 20 different versions of things. That means I'm going to have to spend 20 times the amount of processing power to actually build the software. And that has a cost. So the, the, the costs associated with actually building stuff can uh, increase quite dramatically uh, if you give people the flexibility to build things in multiple ways. And what uh, is starting to happen is uh, people are starting to look at how they can actually put build agents on on their own hardware. So you might have a cloud-based uh, CICD solution, but then you could put build agents on your, uh, your own servers so that the building itself, the, the actual compilation of code or, or whatever it is, uh, is happening on resources that, that you can manage and resources that might be underutilized. And that was a surprising thing that came out of it uh, to me. It's that uh, maybe I shouldn't be so surprised, but ultimately CICD all comes back down to how well you can build things, which I think is a very important point to finish on. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today, John. Uh, we look forward to your next report. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this, if we've enticed your curiosity, please go to gigaohm.com where you can read not just John's reports, but reports written by Enrico Signoretti, Andrew Brust, David Linthicum, Ned Bellavance. We have an entire team of talented, brilliant analysts that are doing research that is relevant today. So go to gigaohm.com for future forward advice and research on IT. For GigaOM Research, I've been Johnny Baldisberger, and this has been Voices and in Innovation.